You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin tonight with the chaos this morning during the commute through the Fraser Valley. Two separate crashes along Highway 1, both involving commercial trucks hitting overpasses. Janet Brown shows us what went wrong and what the Transportation Ministry is doing to try to prevent these types of crashes. The first incident happened on Highway 1 at number 3 road exit in Abbotsford. Police say a fully loaded dump truck pulling a trailer eastbound blew a front tire, causing it to hit one of the westbound supports of the overpass, bursting into flames. This is not a criminal uh, investigation. Uh, this is a very horrible day that uh, remarkably resulted in no tragic loss of life. A short time later, also on Highway 1 at 264th, a truck hit the overpass westbound, bringing traffic to a standstill and causing debris to be scattered over a wide area. The truck belongs to Cooner Trucking of Surrey. He's talking to the Ministry of Transport now? Something like that. Okay. Over the last two years, there have been 16 incidents of trucks hitting overpasses across Metro Vancouver. The Trucking Association is asked what it's going to take to put a stop to this. We look at this and say, this is something that's easily preventable. It's literally understand what you're moving, measure it before you go, and get a permit if you're over height. One industry expert says a number of changes need to be made. Distracted driving, uh, uh, lack of skill. Even, even with the training we do, we still have a lack of skill. We have reached out to the Transportation Ministry. They say the ministry is working with the trucking industry on new actions that can be taken, including higher fines, steeper penalties, longer suspensions and more driver education to stop these collisions from happening. By the time both wrecks were finally cleared, the damage was done for the morning commute and the resulting backups didn't fully clear up for several hours. Janet Brown, Global News. Now, on the other side of the Lower Mainland, traffic on Highway 1 in North Vancouver was shut down for almost four hours today due to a dramatic police incident. An ambulance was called and heavily armed officers with a canine unit blocked traffic in both directions at the Mosquito Creek overpass at around 9.30 this morning. RCMP say they initially responded to a report of a man in a mental health crisis along the Mosquito Creek trail below the overpass. He had a number of makeshift weapons and reportedly threatened officers. So a decision was made to close the highway and bring in an emergency response team and crisis negotiator. Our officers um, and the course negotiators were in continuous talk with a psychologist throughout the entire incident and approximately 1.30 p.m. the incident was resolved peacefully. The man was uh, apprehended under the Mental Health Act and was taken to the hospital. Due to the steep terrain, high-angle specialists from the integrated emergency response team were brought in to assist. Well, more physicians are speaking out tonight about the crisis at Surrey Memorial Hospital. This time, it involves dozens of doctors in obstetrics and gynecology. Our Jordan Armstrong joins us in studio with more. Jordan, more than two dozen physicians have signed yet another letter of concern. Indeed, Sophie. The letter is signed by 36 medical professionals, 23 of them physicians. They outline many problems at Surrey Memorial's birthing unit, a unit they say is responsible for 6,000 deliveries a year. The letter states some of the problems include insufficient space and a lack of nursing resources, all of which 
compromises safety of patients. The letter says at least one newborn death has been attributed to this and there have been countless near misses. It goes on to say that the lack of access to operating rooms is also an issue, stating gynecology services waits are 77% longer than the benchmark. And the letter says this is all the fault of leadership not addressing the crisis, specifically citing a failure to deliver capital investment and expansion of space and that patients are not receiving the care they should expect. In bold script, the letter states, we emphatically urge our community not to tolerate this degree of neglect from individuals who have the capacity to drive change at the regional and provincial levels. Again, this is an open letter from a majority, two-thirds of the women's health providers at Surrey Memorial. We have reached out to the Minister of Health, but a communication staffer tells us Adrian Dix is not available tonight. We'll see if that changes as the evening goes on. We'll have more on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Jordan Armstrong reporting live tonight. Now, a major break in the baffling disappearance of a Vanderhoof woman 12 years ago. 20-year-old Madison Scott was reported missing in 2011 after her tent and truck were found at the site where she'd been camping. Today, RCMP confirmed Scott's body was discovered on a rural property near Vanderhoof. Kylie Stanton has more. It's not a day or early minutes by she's not part of part of what we are. With every passing year, Madison Scott's parents never gave up hope. The anniversary of their daughter's disappearance, always a chance to shine a light on the case. She is missing and we have to find her. And on this day, May 29th, 12 years later, it's finally paid off. The RCMP and support services are currently on the scene of a rural property east of Vanderhoof where it has been confirmed that Madison Scott has been found. Police say Scott's remains were found days ago and have been positively identified by the BC Coroner's Service. The property has been secured with additional resources now on scene. It remains an active uh, missing persons investigation where foul play has not been ruled out and certainly we will continue our investigation to determine uh, the information surrounding this uh, case. Scott was last seen in the early morning hours of May 28, 2011. She was celebrating a friend's birthday at Hogsback Lake, roughly 25 kilometers south of Vanderhoof. While others left, Scott decided to stay overnight in her tent. Two days later, her parents found the site, but Scott was gone. Only her tent and vehicle were left behind. Scott's disappearance quickly became a high-profile case with Crime Stoppers coverage, billboards and posters asking for tips. Search your mind and review your memory and call the RCMP. The small community at the center of it all now finally getting a sense of closure. 20 years old. I feel like crying. We can't change the outcome, so it does give you knowing what's happening and, and, and you can move forward then and, and deal with it. Despite the significant development, there have been no arrests or charges laid. And so the work is really just beginning. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Vancouver police are renewing their plea for information about a woman who drowned near Spanish banks last September. Investigators have re-released a composite sketch of what she might have looked like at the time of her death. 
Her body was found floating in the water September 29th. A blue inflatable kayak and life vest were found nearby. It's believed the woman in her 30s was diabetic and may have suffered medical distress before falling into the water. Police have received about 30 tips from the public and checked her fingerprints and DNA on police databases, but so far have been unable to identify her. Well, the man responsible for the March 2021 Lynn Valley Library stabbing spree that left one woman dead and six others injured has pleaded guilty to all seven counts he was facing. But despite Yannick Bandago's admission of guilt, his motives for the deadly attack are still a mystery. Brett Bala reports. Yannick Bandago appeared in court in a blue blazer with his fate in his hands. With his mother watching via video conference, we heard his voice. Coupable, he said in French to each of the seven counts he faced. Guilty of second-degree murder, guilty of five counts of attempted murder, guilty of aggravated assault. Yannick Bernago didn't know none of the individual that was attacked on that day. There was no indication Yannick Bandalgo was about to launch a murderous attack March 27, 2021. At 9.32, he arrived at the Lynn Valley Library and quietly spent the morning, a community book sale happening nearby. <laughs> At 1.43, something snapped. Bandalgo got up and went straight at his first victim who was working on her computer. Bandalgo suddenly stabbed the woman a dozen times and left her to die. We know her only as AMB. There's definitely relief from the family. Show me your hand! Among the carnage, acts of courage. Shiloh Clausen tried to stop Bandago. He turned on her, kicking and stabbing her behind the ear and neck. Next, a 78-year-old man tried to intervene and ended up with cuts to his face and a broken nose. They ran toward danger in order to, to help strangers. It's remarkable. Suzanne Till froze when she saw what was going on. When she finally tried to flee, Bandago stabbed her. Till lost an eye. Another man lured Bandago outside and was stabbed for his troubles. Emma Henderson received cuts to her nose and face. Bandago went after two more people, stabbing one in the head leaving the knife lodged in her skull and assaulting another with an umbrella as her children watched. He accepted responsibility and that was his decision uh, to do that. And, and, uh, um, uh, and he felt that this is the right thing to do. The big question remains, why did he do it? There will be more light shine at uh, the sentencing hearing. Bandago faces an automatic life sentence. The only question is, how long before he's allowed to apply for parole? He'll be back in court July 5th. Brett Bala, Global News. Well, the man accused of killing a high-profile B.C. gangster has been extradited to Thailand to face trial. Matthew Dupre was wanted in connection to the killing of United Nations gang member Jimmy Sandu in Phuket, Thailand in February of 2022. Just weeks later, Dupre, a former Canadian soldier, was arrested at his home in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. An Alberta court approved his extradition in December. On Saturday, Dupre was flown from Edmonton to YVR, then flown to Bangkok on a Thai government jet. Thai prosecutors have said Dupre will not face the death penalty if he is found guilty. The re-arrest in Kelowna of a prolific offender just hours after being released from custody has focused more attention on how our justice system treats chronic offenders. The crime caught on security camera, a man breaking into a clothing store. The suspect, 46-year-old Justin Wayne Collins, a well-known offender who had been charged with several other offenses from incidents just the day before. Collins has generated more than 400 police files since 2016. 
You just know that like he's gonna like keep doing the same thing and he has like a clear history of it. Like I mean I think that something should be done about it. Like everybody in Kelowna, we are frustrated. We are just gonna continue to uh, do our best to uh, solve these crimes and put these people behind bars. Once that's done, it's out of our hands and we can only uh, do what we can do. Last month, the B.C. government announced it would be cracking down on repeat offenders by creating 12 enforcement hubs across B.C., including one in Kelowna. Well, there's been another development in the ongoing controversy about foreign interference. Vancouver East MP Jenny Kwan says she was told by Canada's spy agency she has been targeted by the Chinese government. Richard Zussman has the details. Criticizing the Chinese government and feeling the backlash. I am being targeted for foreign interference and will continue to be a target. Vancouver East NDP MP Jenny Kwan met late last week with CISA's officials. The intelligence organization informing her she was singled out by Beijing during the 2019 federal election. She can't reveal specifics of Beijing's alleged actions due to security laws, but remains a target because of her criticism of the Chinese government. Coming out of this briefing, it is more clear to me than ever that I will not be intimidated, that I will not be silenced. Kwan joins a list of politicians, mainly in Metro Vancouver and Greater Toronto, being targeted by the Chinese government. It's this sort of foreign interference currently being investigated by former Governor General David Johnston. The NDP says Johnson does not have the full confidence of the House of Commons. It is very clear that the appearance of bias is so high that it erodes the work that the special rapporteur can do. Former Steveston Richmond East Conservative MP Kenny Chu believes he also was a target of the Chinese government, convinced the government used disinformation in the last federal election and a successful effort to defeat him. It's obvious that uh, the Chinese communists are paying very close attention to those who are... Um, opposing to what it's doing. Chu says the Chinese government targets people who have recently moved to Canada and speak Chinese languages. They don't particularly support left, right or center uh, parties. However, they are interested in in power. Whoever has the power, they would be getting very close to. Kwan is not worried about any physical threats to her family, but rather a potentially larger threat, an attack on democracy. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. One of Vancouver's most iconic diners is in need of some unexpected repairs. Overting for me is not just restaurant, it's history. 80 years. The Ovaltine Cafe temporarily closed, damaged by arson. What the mother-daughter duo who own the popular spot are saying about getting it back up and running in just over a minute. This season, Ukraine has a dream to play softball at Canada Cup. And they've been accepted, but now they need some help raising the funds to get here. How you can pitch in later. Plus. I remember running and then I hurt my head. An Anima woman knocks herself out, winning the Gloucester cheese rolling competition. Her incredible role and how she's doing now. That's still to come tonight on the News Hour. Right now, though, an iconic Vancouver cafe, which doubles as a popular location for movies and TV, is the latest apparent victim of property crime on the downtown east side. As Grace Key reports, the owner says up until now, she's had no problems with anyone. 
So apparently the point of fire was somewhere along here. Rachel Chen says when they found out their downtown Eastside restaurant was on fire, one of her mother's first thoughts went to their workers and customers. I have a whole bunch of customers. They open door, Grace, I'm home. When you heard us, that's totally different. You go any restaurant, you cannot hear about that. Yesterday, even with the fire, the first thing she told me is, ask the insurance adjuster if they can compensate the staff wage. Because our staff, they're like our family. They've been with some of us, been here since we opened. The fire started 7 a.m. Sunday at the back of the iconic Ovaltine Cafe on East Hastings. The flames were contained mostly in the bathroom, but there is smoke damage. So this is one of the walk-in coolers that we have. I need to throw everything out. Not much has changed here since 1942 when the cafe first opened. Its vintage look has attracted TV and film productions. The first Chinese-Canadian federal judge worked here, and the Telegraph in London named it one of the top 50 cafes on earth. The Chens took it over in 2014. It breaks my heart to, to see this happen to her shop because she spent her whole life here as a, as a new immigrant. And I always tell the same story. As a new immigrant who didn't even know what sunny side up was, <laughs> she's brave enough to open a diner. Rachel says customers have always come first for her mother. Her constant nagging to raise prices during these tough times falls on deaf ears. I tell her $1.50, but, you know, she calls up the menu guys like, hey, change the price. <laughs> I can't do anything. Even people come in and say, Grace, I don't have money. Mama's like, okay, hey, I'll make you a burger. I'll make you something. Vancouver Fire says the blaze was intentionally set. The Chans have insurance, but will have to close for possibly three months. Well, she always told me if, if money can solve the problem, eh, it's not a big problem. We'll just work hard and we'll get it done. Grace Key, Global News. An embattled condo project in Vancouver's Chinatown is back before City Council tonight. The plan for 105 Kiefer Street has been revamped and it has garnered new support. But the changes haven't silenced all the critics. Jasmine Bala is live with more on what we are expecting tonight. Jasmine. Sophie, the future of 105 Kiefer Street is still very unclear. Will we see a condo built there or not? It's a question that's divided the community and one that was the focus of a rally held outside of City Hall before the meeting got underway. At the center of the issue, a vacant lot in the heart of Chinatown. It's been sitting empty for decades. The owner of the property, Beatty, has wanted to build a tower there since it purchased the land in 2013. Between 2014 and 2017, Beatty's applications were denied five times, facing much public opposition. Today's version of the project is a nine-story condo with 111 units, retail and a cultural space on the ground floor, and three levels of underground parking. It's the same proposal that was rejected in 2017. But in December last year, a B.C. Supreme Court judge ordered the board to take another look at the application and if it is refused again, provide detailed reasons, something that was missing last time. But there has been a shift in Chinatown in the six years since. Seven legacy cultural, social, housing and business organizations that were originally divided over the proposal are now in support. But some community members are still pushing back, saying it should be entirely social housing instead to support the many low-income seniors living in the area. Chinatown has, has suffered the last five years, uh, four years through, with COVID, uh, with social disorder, um, you know, the mental health issues, 
you know, the, the vandalism and graffiti, anti-Asian graffiti on uh, uh, cultural uh, institutions, and uh, having more eyes on the street, having more people around really uh, deters that. We respect their legacy, but uh, unfortunately they're on the wrong side, and we believe that um, if they listen to, you know, the seniors in the, in the, the seniors that we share in the community, they would not make the, they won't be making this decision today. There is a long list of speakers to get through. I'm told about 70 in total, so it could take hours or even another day before we we get a decision. Sophie. All right. Well, they waited 10 years. Uh, one more night. We'll see what happens. Thanks for that, Jasmine Baller, reporting live outside Vancouver City Hall. Up next, online buyers beware. I don't think every shopper today understands what they're getting into fully. Why major retailers are using third-party sellers and how you might not even notice. And later, why Vancouver Council is being asked to make an exception to no smoking bylaws. Good news here in Surrey. Final clearing stages of a truck in the ditch. Westbound on 88th Avenue before 192nd Street. Oh, the tow truck's just leaving without it. So both uh, directions are blocked for now, but uh, it is in the clearing stages, so I think. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above what was a truck in the ditch in Surrey. More and more major retailers are hosting third-party marketplace sellers on their websites, but that can cause a lot of confusion for online shoppers. Many consumers aren't always aware who they're doing business with. For more on this growing trend and what to watch for, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa. And Thanks, Sophie. Some retail analysts say well-known retailers are giving access to marketplace sellers on their websites because it's a way for the trusted retailer to increase profits and drive more eyeballs to their websites. Now the issue is the consumer often needs to keep a keen eye on who they are doing business with. When shopping online, pay close attention to the fine print. Major retailers will list the third-party seller, but often it can be hard to spot if you don't take the time. For example, look to see who is selling and shipping the item. That's critical because third-party sellers often have very different return policies than the major retailer you think you are shopping with. In some cases, charges may apply. Often, you can't return the item to the store. Instead, you'll have to deal with the third-party seller, and that may prove difficult and inflexible. Also, pay attention to price. Prices can widely fluctuate with marketplace sellers and can sometimes be too good to be true. If something is super, super cheap, some flags should go off. And you should say, why is it cheap? And you can still buy it, but just sort of understand what you're, you know, why it might be. And usually there's no terrific deal, usually. Uh, so there's something you're giving up. Any site, you want to double check who the seller is. And that that is made clear, but maybe in a very fine print way, but it is there. So the one thing you do want to cross check is any branded marketplace. Are they the seller? Or are they simply the hosts of the marketplace? 
So again, take an extra moment or two before you click on the buy or pay now option. Also, it's a good idea to do a search on the vendor and read customer reviews. A good habit because retail experts are predicting more third party marketplaces to pop up where major retailers are looking for more growth and more revenue. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Good advice. Thank you, Anne. More than 500 workers at Atira Women's Resource Society have voted to unionize. The employees at more than 35 work sites will become members of the B.C. Government Employees Union. And while the union is not revealing how many signed union cards, it says it was a significant majority. The BCGEU says the workers will now be able to push collectively to address safety concerns, short staffing and other working conditions at Atira. Well, the, a B.C. MP takes up the cause of an Iranian prisoner facing imminent execution. The challenge that we've had in Mohammed's case is even finding out what's really happening. The push to save 22-year-old Mohammed Gobadlu, arrested during wide anti-regime protests in Tehran. Also ahead, fresh attacks on Kyiv, sending people running underground for cover. Steady in both directions tonight over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, with just a bit of leftover volume as usual. Eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A BC MP has taken up the cause of a human rights protester who's facing imminent execution in Iran. As Negar Moshtahedi reports, the man is just one of hundreds of people who've been sentenced to death in the Islamic Republic this year alone. The heartbreaking part of this is just seeing somebody so, you know, youthful and, and embracing life and... Um, just uh, celebrating, being himself, being a young man. And um, that's why it's so important that we continue saying his name and telling his story. Luck? Not on the side of 22-year-old Mohammed Gobadlu. His life is in danger, facing imminent execution. <laughs> arrested in Tehran on September 22nd during nationwide anti-regime protests, sparked by the in-custody death of Massa Jina Amini. The challenge that we've had in Mohammed's case is even finding out what's really happening. Cloverdale Langley City MP John Aldag is Gobadlu's political sponsor. Many of the, the um, sources that we had have been silenced now. We know that his family were threatened with death themselves. Iran's Supreme Court upholding his death sentence after a stay of his execution in February. The appeal was denied. Vancouver resident Farid Najafi with the non-profit Iranian Knowledge is investigating and tracking Qobadlu's case. He was in solitary confinement and uh, his trial was very short and they basically gave him the death sentence uh, right away. I, I just find it unimaginable that we have a country taking, in many cases, its brightest citizens, men and women, and, and in many cases, young people, and, and executing them. It's just like, it's, it's incomprehensible. Gobadlu is one of seven protesters sentenced to death, according to Amnesty International. 
there are these daily executions that are happening and we don't know who's next. Here's a, um, again, a video of Muhammad. It's, it's as devastating as it was the first time I watched it. Nagar Moshahedi, Global News. At least one person has been killed after Russia launched missiles and drones at Kyiv in a rare daylight attack. Panicked children could be seen rushing for cover when they heard and felt the explosions in the city centre. Kyiv's metro stations were packed with people taking shelter. The daytime bombardment followed another attack overnight when Ukrainian defenders say they shot down 11 missiles. Russia has stepped up the frequency of air attacks on the capital as the Ukrainian military prepares to launch its long-awaited spring counteroffensive. Well, there has been a big shift in the way people are dying from toxic drugs in B.C. According to health officials, the majority of deaths are now from people who are smoking rather than injecting. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, that has Vancouver Council considering a controversial measure to address the shift in drug consumption. Indoor smoking used to be everywhere. That is, until it was banned. Now it could soon be allowed once again but only under certain circumstances, an effort to tackle the ongoing drug crisis. I think the drug use is happening. It's a question of trying to mitigate the harm. Um, the benefit as well in terms of additional life-saving measures is that this does keep uh, the activity inside the medical facilities. A City of Vancouver staff report is recommending council vote not to enforce current anti-smoking bylaws at federally approved supervised consumption sites. BC's Centre for Excellence in HIV-AIDS wants to establish indoor inhalation booths. We're planning to uh, uh, develop uh, half a dozen six uh, uh, smoking or inhalation booths. Uh, these are purposely built, separated uh, from each other. They have negative air pressure, uh, so it allows for people to use their drugs that can be toxic uh, to the personnel, etc., in a relatively safe uh, manner. The concept isn't new. Last year, Toronto's Casey House added an inhalation booth at its supervised consumption service. According to the BC Coroner Service, inhalation is the most common form of drug consumption that leads to fatal overdose. The trend that I've seen in the downtown east side is a lot more people are smoking. So it's really important to provide a place for people to go that's safe, that can connect with folks, and you don't want to have the only place people can go is to be injection sites um, because the majority of people are smoking. They need help too, so I think this is a great plan. The staff report will go before council on Wednesday and, if approved, the inhalation program will run as a two-year pilot. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Just ahead on the news hour, what some people will do for cheese. Despite the injuries, I think it's worth it. The BC woman who won the infamous cheese rolling race today and the price she paid for those bragging rights. And later, sportsmanship knows no borders. The local effort to bring Ukrainian athletes here for the Canada Cup. Well, that's a lovely uh, picture behind you, Christy. It's been very dry this month. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what I wanted to just highlight. We're days away from June and um, unofficial numbers because we still have to tally the next couple of days. But we have no rain in the forecast. So we can talk a little bit about how dry it has been this uh, uh, May. So 2023 so far, we've only had 16.1 millimeters of rain. Average for this month is 65. Looking at last year, we had 92. So it has been incredibly dry. And what's also interesting about this month is that of these 16.1 millimeters, 15.6 of it happened on one day. Basically, all the other days we've had a trace or very minimal uh, millimeters of rain. So, uh, or, or it was completely dry. And really, we have no rain in the forecast. We're going to see a bit of a dip in the temperature with nothing major in terms of rainfall. We're going to see temperatures climb as we head into the weekend. So we're back to sort of summer-like conditions. It is a concern. We've got high to extreme fire danger rating in much of the province. So be really careful. We just had a new fire ignited today uh, on Vancouver Island. So be super careful. A number of areas downgraded by the BC River Forecast Centre today. They say that the river levels have reached their peak and are receding or will recede this week. So some good news when it comes to that. Although keep in mind, we still have the June rains ahead of us. So we're not totally out of the woods, but things are certainly looking up in terms of the flood risk. So uh, warm and the interior regions. Uh, south coast will see a little bit of cloud cover tomorrow morning, but that will clear quite quickly. Now, 18 degrees for Metro Vancouver is seasonal for this time of year. So seasonal for tomorrow and Wednesday, but we'll warm up as we head into the weekend. Tonight, central windows, weather window. I love this shot looking out over Ashcroft. Uh, this is a hike up sort of one uh, to one of the peaks. And you can see uh, because of the cloud cover, this sort of the sun, the cloud shade uh, mix down below. So back to you. All right. Thanks, Christy. A young Nanaimo woman is making headlines for winning one of the craziest races in the world, despite knocking herself unconscious during the competition. Warning first, this video is a little bit jarring, but it does have a happy ending. 19-year-old Delaney Irving was taking part in the women's event at the annual UK race near Gloucester, chasing a roll of cheese down Cooper's Hill when this happened. Race officials scrambled to shield Delaney from spectators and she was stretchered to the medical tent. She did regain consciousness and recovered enough to give an interview. First question, yeah. how are you? I'm good. Now that I remember it, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you took hell of a tumble. Did I? Yeah. So what do you remember of the race? Um, I remember running and then I hurt my head. And then I woke up in the tent. How does it feel to be the winner? It feels so good. I <laughs> it just kind of hit me, but yeah. So the question is, are you going to come back next year and do it again to reclaim your title? I think I will. <laughs> if I yeah, if I see around to it, yes. Despite the injuries. Despite the injuries, I think it's worth it. So what does she win for that? Well. That's it. Just the roll of cheese, apparently. Uh, Delaney's mother, by the way, says she saw the footage of her daughter's adventure, but thankfully, after she talked to her, and she says so far, her daughter is okay. I didn't know she was doing it. I thought she was watching it. And apparently she has a concussion. Uh, she was getting a CT scan, but I think she's fine, as far as I know. She looked like a rag doll. And, uh, and when she landed, she wasn't moving. So, yeah, it was, you know, not every parent's dream. <laughs> but she's okay. She's okay. So that's all that matters. I said, are you okay? And I said, go to the hospital, and I love you. <laughs> and you're crazy, and I love you. And that was pretty much what I said. <laughs> 
Uh, our director Justin says Delaney's feeling Gouda, Gouda now. Oh. Mm. That's a sharp comment. So, oh so do you keep the cheese and you, you mount it on the wall? What do you do with the, the, the ring of cheese? I think they're going to they're gonna have to cut it. Yeah, I guess so. Cut the cheese. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're going to stop right there. Vancouver Whitecaps preparing for a big homestand. The Caps still can't win on the road, so picking up wins and the valuable three points are a must for a squad that Benny Sartini feels still isn't firing on all cylinders. We are underachieving for the way that we are playing, for the way that uh, we are showing our game, we are, we are underachieving. We deserve more points and uh, uh, we, need to be, we need to be better. All right, we're just heating up. We'll discuss more coming up after the break in sports. And later, taking a swing at the Canada Cup, how Team Ukraine isn't giving up on their softball dream. All right, Double J, take it away. Thanks. I'm still feeling good at so. Oh, boy. Vancouver Whitecaps are back home following their 3-1 road defeat in St. Louis on the weekend. Caps are going to play their next four matches at home, and that includes the Canadian Championship Final against Montreal next week. Most important business at hand right now is collecting a full three points in their MLS game starting Wednesday when Houston comes to town. Caps are currently sitting eighth in the West, and with all the changes that they've made in the offseason, it's interesting to note that they're basically sitting in the exact same position wins and losses-wise as they were a year ago when they missed the playoffs. Several new faces, but the Whitecaps find themselves in a familiar place. 17 points through 14 games. The exact same as last season. I think when you look at our ability this year and how we've gelled compared to last year, we would want more points 100%. So I think, you know, anybody could say that. I think we feel like we, you know, could have gotten more points for sure. Players such as Lucas Cavallini, Christian Gutierrez, Leo Wusu, Florian Youngberth, and Eric Adoy have been replaced by Andre Kubas. Julian Gressel, Alessandro Schoff, Sergio Cordova, Matias Laborda, and young stars Ali Ahmed and Simon Betcher. The goal differential category has dramatically improved from a year ago. They're now plus two compared to last year's minus eight. The thing we said for a lot of last year was we got off to a poor start. and um, You know, it's, again, we've, we've dropped points when we shouldn't have. Um, but if you, if you look at the table, um, there's a lot of teams close together, separated by not many points, so... You know that a couple of results and you'll uh, you'll shoot back up the table. The Whitecaps are in a slightly better situation in the table than a year ago, currently in eighth compared to tenth last season. I think we have the skills, the capabilities, the quality to look at the, at the game of this week, Houston and Kansas City, and try to win both games. And winning both games also standing-wise would change because, you know, we said before, but we're only two points behind the fifth place. So fifth place is much better than this club has done in the last few years. The last time the Whitecaps finished in the top five was in 2017, when they earned 52 points, a mark they hope to hit this season, but are currently off the pace. We are underachieving for the way that we are playing, for the way that uh, we are showing our game. We are, we are underachieving. We deserve more points, and uh, we, need to be, we need to be better. 
French Open, first round continuing. Denis Shapovalov on court today, as was Felix Auger-Aliassime. Yesterday, Leila Fernandez got through. Rebecca Marino lost her match. Denis Shapovalov won his today, although he was pushed hard, went the distance. His match stretched three hours, 47 minutes against American Brandon Nakashima. But Shapovalov wins it. Had a couple of strong forehands as well. Served it out in a match that went three hours, 47 minutes. He wins it 6-4-7-5-4-6-3-6-6-3. So Denis Shapovalov is off to the second round. Felix Oje Aliassime is the 10th ranked player in the world. He was facing Italy's Fabio Fonini, who was ranked 130th in the, in the world. And this one was over quickly. Fonini converted eight of nine break opportunities, knocks off Felix Oje Aliassime. 6-4-6-4-6-3. Aliassime has been dealing with injuries, shoulder, knee, and today apparently he was fighting stomach issues as he gets knocked out by upset. Memorial Cup, it's the battle of the undefeated in Kamloops right now. Quebec Rampart leading the Seattle Thunderbirds 1-0 late in the first period. Kamloops Blazers won big last night. Well, we'll see what they do Wednesday night when they take on the Seattle Thunderbirds. Dallas Stars on home ice trying to force a seventh deciding game back in Vegas. Jamie Benn back in the lineup after serving that two-game suspension for serving up the Sherwood cross-check sandwich a couple games back. Opening minutes was full of chances. They went back and forth. First whistle was when this goal was scored. William Carrier jumping on the loose puck. That was three minutes of 41 seconds of straight action. And it was the Williams that were doing the nights in early on Vegas power play. William Carlson, the beneficiary of a couple of good bounces. We'll follow the old bouncing puck. Knights were just smothering the stars in the opening period. The production coming from the bottom six. Fourth line winner Keegan Kolsar starts and finishes. A couple of nice touch passes. The grinders getting it done. It was 3-0 after the first period. They are late in the second, and the Golden Knights have themselves a 4-0 lead as it looks like they're going to polish off the Dallas Stars. How about the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics playing the seventh deciding game in the NBA's Eastern Conference Final? Celtics trying to become the first team in NBA history to erase that 3-0 series deficit, but the Butler's doing it again. Had 11 points in the opening half, and they are at the half right now. And Miami is up by 11 as they look to advance to the NBA Finals to take on the Denver Nuggets. All right, sounds good. Thank you very much, Jay. Up next, how you can pitch in to help Ukrainian athletes compete at the Canada Cup in Surrey. A war is raging around them, but the Ukrainian women's junior national softball team is determined to compete in this year's Canada Cup in South Surrey. Funding for amateur sports is challenging at the best of times, and with the war creating even more obstacles, the Ukrainians say they need your help. Aaron MacArthur reports. Every at-bat, every run scored is a world away from the reality. For the Ukrainian junior national softball team, the opportunity to be on the diamond is not a given. Some members of the squad in Kyiv spent this weekend sheltering from drone strikes. It's sometimes hard to watch this young woman roll out onto the field of play and bravely compete despite the fact that in many cases their fathers, mothers, grandfathers, brothers and sisters, a lot of friends uh, on the front lines. This year, the team was looking to compete in the Canada Cup in South Surrey. The tournament known around the world as one of the biggest stages for young softball players. This season, Ukraine has a dream to play softball at Canada Cup. We invite Ukrainian diaspora and all Ukrainians to the city of Surrey to cheer 
and support Ukraine junior national team. But the dream appeared to be lost. With just more than a month before the tournament was set to start, the team forced to cancel their appearance. Their funding fell through. I hope that we get the opportunity to come to Zurich. And it was their dream to come when they thought they could get funded. Instead of letting this opportunity slip by, the organizers at the Canada Cup have stepped in to pinch hit. These are kids. These are 16-year-old girls. They are fundraising, willing to pay the expenses so these players can come to Surrey and are asking the community here to help. We're a small society. We're not a huge money operation here, so you know, paying for you know, the plane tickets and the transport and food and whatnot is a, is a stretch to us, so we're hoping the community can help. A GoFundMe page has been started. And BC Amateur Sport has a dedicated donation page as well. There is still a lot of work to do. About $60,000 is needed. In a sport measured in wins and losses, for the Ukrainian girls, just getting to Softball City might be the biggest win they could have hoped. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Nice to get them here, and I'm sure the local community will step up, as it always does. Our sport, it's a magical thing. Exactly. All right, Christy, uh, final word on the weather forecast. So we're going to finish off May just as much of May uh, carried on. It's going to be dry. We're going to warm up as we head into the weekend. The next couple of days will be near seasonal. That may feel chilly for many of you, but it's actually where we should be for this time of year. We'll see a little bit of cloud cover tomorrow morning, otherwise sunshine. The low 20s, the perfect temperature. I love it. All right. Thanks all for watching. Have a good night.